Plus We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me, well, it's nobody. Yeah, this is a special one again. It's a bonus episode. We're going to continue to do our normal episodes, but I figured I was on Adventures in Creativity, which is the inspiration for this very show, and I thought you guys might want to hear the interview, and since I pretty sure not all of you are subscribed to Dave's podcast and shame on you for not being subscribed to his podcast but maybe this will inspire you to do it so without further ado I'm just going to cut right over you're going to hear Dave's intro music and Dave is going to interview me we talk about all kinds of creative stuff including the dreaded imposter syndrome and how it almost killed me very cheery stuff enjoy the episode and we will be back on the normal day next Wednesday. Fueled by conversations about the world of creativity, welcome to the Adventures in Creativity podcast with me, your tour guide, your host, David Swiduck. The adventure starts right now. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 71 of the Adventures in Creativity podcast. I'm usually Dave, and I've got a very special treat for you guys today. Joining me, it's not just me. It's been a while since we've had a guest, and joining me is my good friend. You've heard his name come up here many, many times, Mr. Vincent Ferrari. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, it's it's been a while. The last time you were on here, we uh, didn't even really know each other. We had you and Ant yeah, come on, the- and... The Three Stooges. <laughs> yeah. And since then, a whole heck of a lot has happened. You've got Because We Make going. You're killing yeah. it in the shop. A lot of stuff. I was realized, I realized that today because I was thinking, like, I know it's been a while since I've been on this show. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the last time I did this show, Because We Make did not exist. It did not. That's crazy. It did not. Yeah. And, and actually, I... I'm going to look it up while we're, while we're talking here, but I believe when when that episode aired for you guys, it was almost a year ago. It had or to be because just I, over a year. It had to be somewhere in March um, because it aired after I had my surgery, which the I got out of the hospital as we're recording this one year ago tomorrow. Right. So yeah, I was already a, oh, home. Not even a year. April eighth is when April that episode oh my, went up. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. I know we recorded it in February. Yeah. I know that much, but wow. Yeah, because I had stockpiled a bunch, and, and yeah, when it released was April 8th. How about that? Yeah, I remember I came the night I the night that Ant and I were on, mm-hmm. um, you had released the episode with Eric. Yeah, yeah. That was, because that was me, like, cramming before I was on <laughs> to make sure I knew what the hell the show was like. Right. Because I talked to you on Twitter, but I, I, I just, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of your podcast cure, mm-hmm. uh, queued up. Well, and I when... think I I listened to, like, six episodes that day just to be like, okay, at least <laughs> I know sorry. what the show is about. <laughs> well, and, and when you came on, we hadn't even really, really started chatting too much online because... You and Ant were chatting, and somehow I got in that conversation. One of you said something, and oh yeah, said, Ant yeah. said, Ant, "Ant said to you, he's like, yeah, you should have my boy Vinny on.' And, and yeah, you're like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And it was just a couple what? days later, and then we were recording. So it's yeah. like, yeah, that's cool. So you know, you and I know each other well now. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. didn't then. But, you know, some of the listeners, if they haven't listened to that, and, and I know they've heard your name pop up here many, many times, but mm-hmm. why don't you kind of just give us the uh, the real quick uh, lowdown on, on what you do and, and who you are, and then we'll get into uh, a few things. Because I wanted to have you on and talk about a couple topics in particular, and cool. we'll get to that in a second. But you need to let people know who you are first. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, my name is Vincent Ferrari. I am a I primarily a maker. I make um, custom jewelry, and I do various custom woodworking projects depending on what clients need. And I'm also the host of a podcast inspired by my appearance on this podcast um, <laughs> called Because We Make. Actually, Dave was my very first guest. And your and 25th. He was also and the 25th, and in, what is it, 12 episodes, he's going to be on again. He's gonna, we have a, a thing that Dave's going to be on every 25 episodes now. The quarterly update, rule. yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, um, I have um, a budding business at vincentmferrari.com, which will soon be a new domain. It's going to be handmade by vincentferrari.com, mm. which actually does go there now, but I'm in the process of converting the site over and doing something a little better with the site because the site has served me well, the store works well, but I want to. I feel like I have a new, I have a new focus, a new vision. I have a mission statement now, which I didn't have before, and right. I really want to centralize all around that now. That's my new thing. I'm much more focused with what the store and what the business needs to be. So that's mm-hmm. the next step in the evolution is that I'm going to <laughs> really, really hone what what I do for other people. Right. That's awesome. I, I've, you know, I, I've talked about it here, and, and you and I have talked many times offline. But it it pumps me up so much to see kind of where you've taken things just in this last year, especially considering everything else going on. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it's just wild. I know. I I'm looking around at my desk. I'm like, oh, Vinny made that. Vinny made that. Oh, this. <laughs> I'm the official archivist of the um, Adventures the in logo. Creativity logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If he didn't make it, he provided the logo to someone else who did. <laughs> it, it, it's really funny because I've actually gotten. I so when um, Ethan did the thing for you. Yep. It was like. Oh yeah, I need. Um, you have Dave's logo. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got his logo. No and then a few, like a few weeks ago, Justin was like, "Hey, you, I, I'm pretty sure you have Dave's logo." I'm like, "Yeah, I got Dave." I'm like, "Who else is going to ask me for Dave's logo at this point?" <laughs> well, it depends who else you keep introducing me to that makes cool stuff. Yeah, really. I'm, I'm going broke, man. But no, it's, it's awesome. I love it's a having. Good, it, it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have is to know a it lot is. of people that make a lot of things, right? It is, and it's inspiring because, you know, it, it makes me I, – I am definitely not in the, the maker space, as you and I have talked about many times, but it, it pushes even me to step out of the, the photo and writing space and, you know, roll up the sleeves, get my hands dirty a little bit, and although I've worn gloves for most of it, but, um, you know, <laughs> go in yeah, and, create- and – I always see creativity as kind of like a, like a drug, like it's like yeah. heroin, right? So yeah. you get your first you get your first high, and it's like, oh, this is this is really good, and then after a while, the highs aren't as good. So what do you do? You try to find a new high. Uh-huh. I know that doing drug references on a on a family friendly podcast <laughs> is probably not the greatest thing in the world, but there is a certain amount of truth to it, right? Yeah. Right. Like I started out, three D printing was my my thing. That was mm-hmm. what I was doing. I was three D printing for everybody, and I I'm not going to say I got bored with it, but I got bored with it, and yeah. it turned to woodwork, which I didn't even know what I was doing. I had to take a course in woodworking to learn anything about woodworking. <laughs> and I just out of nowhere, it just kind of like I still wanted – I got had this bug. I've always had this bug to make jewelry. Uh-huh. And realistically, jewelry is the most successful thing 
that I've ever done. Right. And now it's like the woodworking, I'll do woodworking, I'll do custom for people, Mm -hmm. but I don't really do a lot of woodworking anymore. It's just, unless somebody asks me, it's like, nope, I make jewelry. That's what I do. Right. Well, it's it's kind of funny though because you you go into it and in you know I've I've talked about the whole idea of the the creativity cross training and stuff and it's it's mm-hmm. that mentality where like you said it very much is a drug although kids don't do drugs no don't but do drugs, when it comes to creativity explore. do a lot of drugs yeah do a lot do of creative it. drugs <laughs> right right <Yeah. laughs> that could be still taken wrong but that's all right yeah no but um it's really the idea you just keep trying stuff and. You never really know what's going to speak to you at any given time because for me, I very, you know, I started drumming when I was like officially, technically, when I was seven years old, I started lessons. Music was my life. And then a band fell apart and I had a back surgery and all this major stuff happened and I couldn't play in the band anymore at that time. So photography stepped in in a bigger way than it ever had been up to that point. And I thought, I'm a photographer and a musician. That's great. I'm Mm -hmm. good. I, I have my thing. And suddenly it's like, well, you know, I still like it. It's still kind of what I consider myself as far as my primary creative pursuit. But all this other stuff just starts popping up and you try it and you're like, oh, that that kind of feeds this thing and feeds that thing. And it, it just builds and grows on itself in such an awesome way. Or you put something away. So for me, mm-hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago, I went out to Nevada to yeah. hang out with my friend for the weekend. And he's, you know, I was like... Oh, we're gonna go all these cool places. All right, I'll bring my point and shoot. He goes, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't do point and shoot. No, no, no. I want you to take your camera bag. I want you to put your lenses in it. I want you to make this a real trip. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing that now. I didn't even know where the battery for my camera. I'm not even joking. I have a Rebel T6i, which I mm-hmm. love, but I haven't really used it in. I mean, except to turn around in the chair in my office and point the big zoom out the window and shoot a deer in my backyard. (laughs) My camera was basically just like, please, either use me or give me to somebody else. And this trip to Nevada just completely reignited my love of photography. Right. It's like, I just can't wait to take product photos now. Like, I want to take the (laughs) best product photos I'm able to take, and I want to get better at it, and I want my stuff to look... I wanted to have my personality. I wanted to look like something I did rather mm-hmm. than just slap it did a to- slap it on a piece of walnut stained pl- uh, pine and take a top down shot and go, "Okay, that's good enough if it sells itself." <laughs> no, I right. want to I want to entice people to buy my stuff now. Like mm-hmm. I don't know what what clicked when I was in Nevada, but just the passion for the actual image came mm-hmm. back and now it's like, "How do I apply that?" to what I do and make money with it. Well, and that's that's it, right? You know, you find ways to turn things that, you know, you kind of got bored with or lost passion for and realize that, whoa, after doing all this other stuff, I've got mm-hmm. a brand new use for this, a new application for this. Mm-hmm. I've that's had all wild. this stuff. I have lights. I have a softbox. Mm-hmm. I have stuff that I don't even know why I have it. I have a backdrop set up. (laughs) If I wanted to use it, I could do amazing photography in my basement. Right. It's just like, you know, but the the spark was gone. Yep. And going to Nevada, and that trip was meant to be a a mental break for me, Mm -hmm. but it it wasn't just a mental break. It was also just a spark that I had lost. And I mean lost, Dave. Like Yeah, yeah. To the point where my photography involved, if I can't take it on my iPhone, then, oh, whatever. You right. Know, just gone. And now it's like, it's not just back, but it's like, 
I want to upgrade my camera. <laughs> and I'm like, now I know vengeance. I'm back. <laughs> you, know, you know you're back into <laughs> photography when you start looking at the next level of gear and go, oh. I could probably justify that now. <laughs> you don't have to tell me about that. Fuji is <laughs> killing me right now. I'm a Fuji shooter. And in the last, what, two months, they've released, I think, three three brand new cameras, a new lens or two, and... Oh man, it's it's making me really feel that it's hard. that gas, the gear acquisition it's hard. syndrome. I'm having oh. the same thing. Canon Canon's doing their um Canon's coming out with a bunch of mirrorless stuff and I haven't yeah. gone mirrorless yet, but there's like some full frame mirrorless stuff and I'm like it's yeah. tough to justify. Like they got a Canon. <laughs> I think it's the R6 is coming out. It's going to be like 3500 bucks. Uh-huh. And I'm like you know, how it's, many necklaces? It's for the business. <laughs> yeah. How much do I need to sell? <laughs> I, you, you, you do that, right? You start looking around and go, uh-huh. I could probably get a couple hundred for that and get a couple hundred for that. And I realize I just don't have enough couple of hundreds. <laughs> so, well, it's such as life. Speaking of, of you and in the photography bug and everything else, that's one of the things I've had on a list I've wanted to, wanted to have you on and talk about for a long time. And it kind of ties into the photography side of it. Now, this was back last year in April. You wrote an article on your blog that was called, What If We Like the Cliché? Mm. Wow, that one got a lot of reactions, too. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you were at a point where you hadn't been shooting much. Mm-hmm. But, and it's not, you know, listeners, it's not just, this isn't going to be just a photography-centric conversation. In, you know, substitute your creative pursuit for photography or whatever we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, insert coffee tables if it makes sense. <laughs> exactly. We need, some, <laughs> we need more coffee tables. We need more coffee tables. <laughs> right. It, but it's this idea of, you know, as creatives, we see so much that's out there and it causes us to feel kind of burned out because there's nothing original. It's just another cliche travel photo. Now, you went mm-hmm. out to uh, the desert and mm-hmm. made a, a ton of excellent photographs that you know, if, if, if someone wanted to look at them, they could say, well, that's kind of a cliche tourist shot for that place. Mm-hmm. That being that, said, it doesn't stop you at all. No. And, and, you know, there's a, I like, we talked about this right after I published that article. And mm-hmm. to me, part of the fun is going to the place for yourself mm-hmm. and capturing, look, there's a reason these photos become cliches. Right there's a reason that everyone takes the sh- the same photo in Paris of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, there's a reason that everyone takes the same photos of the Empire State Building mm-hmm. or you know the Willis Tower in Chicago. You know, standing under it and pointing straight up from the, the same bean. perspective. The the Chicago Bean or whatever it's called. Yeah, the the Cloud Bean and yeah, all, all the Cloud Gate. That's what was, the Cloud Gate. I was trying to remember the name of that thing. <laughs> it's just a bean. It's a bean, and don't take a photo <laughs> of it because they'll get you for copyright infringement for taking a picture of it. Yeah, um, it's there's a reason they're cliche, right? There's something yep. about them. There's a visually pleasing element. There's a mm-hmm. reason why Vegas neon and Broadway lights and all these things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what's become cliche. I mean. It's your opportunity to test yourself and say, hey, I can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's there's something to be said for having that photo, but having it be one that you took. Right. You know, I have a photo right now uh, as my background on my Windows desktops, on all of my computers, and it's me looking straight down Joshua Tree um, Highway in Nevada. Right. And you can see probably for about 15 miles straight down this highway. It's one of the better shots that I took while yeah, I was right. out there. Right. 
and I love this shot. And if you look on Flickr or, you know, Smug Mug or one of those other sites, there's hundreds of photos just like it. I mean, I'm right. not, it's not the most original composition. It's just a good photo, and I'm happy that I took it. I'm not taking it to have a great picture of that highway. I'm taking it because I was on that spot. And when I see that picture, I remember what it felt like to stand on the center line of that highway and take a photo that could see 15 miles in front of me. Right. You know, that moment to me is more important than what's actually even in the photo. Because mm-hmm. every time I see this photo, I'm transported back to that trip. Every mm-hmm. single time. And and you couple that with the, the idea that oftentimes in, in terms of photography, you're going to be shooting something that's probably going to result in a pretty killer photo. Yeah. You know, and so you have not only that, even though it's cliche, you know, of, oh, you could probably find a million copies of that and buy a print of it online for dirt cheap. You have that that beautiful view or that that scene or whatever it is you want, and you know that you made it and you've got your personal attachment to it. When when, when one of the things that I saw while I was out there is a thing in um, it's an art installation um, called Seven Magic Mountains. It's literally literally seven piles of really big rocks. That's that's <laughs> what it, and they're painted in rainbow colors. That's okay. It's the most. It sounds like the most uninteresting thing you've ever seen in your life. But if you've ever seen it in person, you can appreciate the scale of it. It's right. tremendous. It's unbelievably large. Like you, it's Each one's probably about 40 feet tall. Sure, sure. And you really do get a feeling for like what's impressive about it. It's not that it's these rocks. It's not that they're arranged a certain way. It's not that they're in the middle of the desert and you have to walk 10 minutes from the parking lot just to get to them. It's the scale of it. Yeah. And when you take the picture, you don't remember as much about the art as you do like, yeah, I remember how I felt when I saw that the first time. You know, we forget that photos aren't just about capturing the thing in front of us. Mm-hmm. It's also a souvenir of being somewhere. Right. You it's know. a memory. Yeah. You know, and that's something so, I've I've really been wrestling with lately. The the idea that any creative pursuit, I don't care what it is, I have no problem with someone who wants to take their creativity and turn it into a side hustle or, you know, even a full-time job. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's not to knock that. But I think that there's been this crazy amount of pressure that's that's sprung up in the last however many years that says if you are good at something creatively, you must then make money from it. You must oh, yeah. then place this value on it that, you know, sometimes it's just simply there is no better value than that personal connection, that that memory, that feeling, whatever it is that's tied to it. I mean, it could be, you know, all jokes aside – that coffee table that you built mm-hmm. because that's the first one you made. Yeah. You know, and you just tried it out, you know, and I just made this silly little uh, <laughs> perpetual calendar woodblock thing. It's a silly little project and I did a little, had a little fun with it. It's not anything unique. You know what I mean? It's, it's but nothing it's, that, but it's still something cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's it just a cool little thing that I was like, you know what? Uh-huh. I wanted to try it. And I, I came up with an idea and executed it in, Overall, I think aside from some painting issues, it came out pretty well. <laughs> you know, and I was like, "Well, this is this is something I did." Now, I have no plans on. I, I will. I will tell you, I will probably never ever make one of these again because you don't have to. I don't have to. I've got it yeah. sitting here. I'm looking at it right now, and I don't plan to sell them. I don't plan to do anything like that. It's just one of. It's a cliche project. We yeah. don't. We don't value the thing. Is we don't value things 
that are done just for the sake of doing them. Right. And that's something that's something where I think we've lost our way a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, some the, the the word I was I was talking I was driving somewhere with my wife. Mm-hmm. This is a good story. I was driving somewhere with my wife and I just said, "Holy crap. I just realized something." She said, "What?" I said the word souvenir. It's two parts of French and it means you came. Right? Yeah. A souvenir means you were here. Right. You came here, right? You get a souvenir to say, I was here. Well, yeah, those photographs that you take, those cliche photographs, Uh they're not so much to capture the thing in front. It's the, I'm here. I'm actually here. I can't believe it. I'm here. (laughs) I've never been to Red Rock, and I know that some of the stuff I took photos of is stuff that's been shot a million times. There is... The Nelson Ghost Town, which was where most of my photos were from, I took probably about 200 photos just that day alone. Sure. It's it's set up. The guy set it up in some ways so that it looks extra good on photographs. It is set up for photographers to come there and do crazy photography. It, well, he, they even get a release from you when you go there right. as a photographer because they let you see things as a photographer that you can't see otherwise. <laughs> So it That's is awesome. set up so that you have things staged to take pictures of. Mm-hmm. And it's still amazingly fun to do. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, How it's often a, do you get to go out in the world like that? You don't, right? No, exactly. And, you know, the, the fun, uh, fun thing with it is that in, in real life, that's how I'm set up also. Mm-hmm. Made, made for photographs. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. No, it, it is so true, though. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. I, I don't know what it is when I'm talking to you. I can't be serious for a dang minute. No, nah, um, me, me neither. The sarcasm my, just flows <laughs> like salt. It is, but what you're saying is so true, though. And, you know, there's another side to this that I, I think is important, you know, and it, it goes into what you said. We've we've lost the ability to really... Um, how did you say it? Just just make something to do something for the sake of doing it. Just for the sake of yeah. it. In in along with that, we lose the ability to say, okay, I'm going to make that cliche photo because I'm not worried about selling that one. That's for me. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, whether it's a, a photo or a project, you make that cliche thing because it's something that got you interested in that thing. Be it a place, you know, or or wanting to take a picture, or you know, a project you want to do, you know, whatever it is. And then after you get that cliche out of the way, if you're comfortable with just saying, I made that for me, I'm good with that, I don't expect anything more of it, that's when you can get get that idea out of the way and start to let those new ways of seeing, new ways of thinking really, really come into that space when you're looking at the Eiffel Tower and really thinking like, well, that's out of the way. What else is around here? Something else is interesting. What else can I capture that's going to tell the story for me, and it's mm-hmm. going to get more personal. It's going to get, yeah. I took a photo in two, the year two thousand. I was on the Stat, I was on the Staten Island ferry going into Manhattan, mm-hmm. and I caught a photograph. The only photograph I've ever, I've actually only sold two. Come to think of it, I've only ever sold two photographs ever in my life. Mm-hmm. The second one is in my dining room, needing to be shipped to the person who bought it. But the first one. <laughs> I was going in. I was on the Staten Island ferry. I had my second ever digital camera, which is an Epson, um, an Epson Photo PC seven fifty Z, which was one of the oldest. It was a one point three megapixel, but yeah. it had a zoom lens on a it. Beast. Yeah, it was a heavy, clunky, <laughs> but it took really good photos. 
if you knew how to deal with its inadequacies, the photos that came out of it were great. Yep. So I used to take that camera with me every day to work. And one morning, I, we were approaching Manhattan, and there's the Twin Towers in front of me, and then there's the the Staten Island Ferry that's leaving Manhattan crossed. They I don't know how they did. I I've never seen it happen the way it happened that morning. But the the ferry that was crossing in front of us, we slowed down, and that ferry went perpendicular to us. So we hmm. were going straight at its side. Yeah, and right. at that moment, the sun was just at the right angle, and it glinted off the window of the ferry. And I had my camera, and I took that shot. And I have a shot of the World Trade Center with a ferry in front of it. It just – the conditions were absolutely magnificent, Right. And in a way, that photo is cliche because it's, oh, yeah, you're on the Staten Island Ferry taking a photo of the World Trade Center. Yeah. But you know what? That photo sold in a charity for first responders Mm. after the the towers went down. Yeah, right. And people went bonkers to get their hands on a copy of it. Right. So if I had just – my sensibilities would have said, yes, this is a cliche photograph. But in the end, there was a there was almost a demand for it. Somebody else saw it and said, this is beautiful. I want this. Now, do we all know that those photos were cliche? Yeah. And how many people right now don't have those photos but were near those buildings and wish they did? Yeah, right. Right? So just because it's cliche, you know, another thing, it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Mm-hmm. That photo is a photo you can't take now. You couldn't, you know? Yeah. I never got to the top of the... I never got to the observation deck at the top of the World Trade Center. I live in New York. I was living in New York City at that point. Right. I never went up there because it was always going to be there. Well, things happen, right? It's not always there. Right. So sometimes it's okay to just, like I said, just do something for the sake of doing it and enjoy it. You Mm -hmm. never know. (laughs) Right. Well, and that kind of, in a weird way, brings me me to the, the place, fast forward to where you are now. One of the things your your trip your trip out to the desert helped spur this, and then you mentioned product photography. So you've been doing something lately, and that's jumping onto Skillshare and consuming mm-hmm. a bunch of these classes because you had that fire rekindled, which meant you wanted to learn some stuff. Yeah, I and wanted so, to. Do, I wanted to do it better. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that a little bit because as as someone like myself, you know, I've been shooting a long time. And I don't know it all. I never will. No one ever will. But I'm very comfortable with with a lot of what what you were sharing with me, and you were so excited about it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I knew exactly <laughs> what you were looking at because it's stuff that I've I've learned and, and looked at myself and applied. And it's like, okay, this is cool. And it, it almost even even though I didn't take these classes, it got me thinking about like, well, what can I do? to help further myself and push myself. And I want to get into talking about this learning curve um, that you and I were talking about a little bit offline a while back, a few weeks ago. But I want to hear, I want you to share that experience with Skillshare because for a lot of creatives out there, they're looking for a place where they can go learn. And we're not sponsored. I'm not sponsored here by anyone. But this to me is a real world example of one of the best examples or testimonials you could ever hear on why it's good to keep pushing yourself to keep learning new things. Yeah. So I, one of the things, so something that everyone should know as far as photography, I know my way around a camera. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm at Dave's level. I'm not, I'm not a professional. I'm not like one of these super, you know, 
speeds and feeds types, knows every spec. I mean, if you <laughs> tell me, I'm not going to lie, a lot of my times, a lot of the times that I'm shooting is in programmed auto exposure. I'm not like, sure. but I, I do know composition reasonably well. I, I'm okay mechanically, right? So I, I have the fundamentals kind of figured out, but I need, I need, you know, sometimes I need a little bit of a coaxing. I need mm -hmm. a little bit of direction. And for me, my product photography, I didn't realize how much it was suffering until <laughs> I took this first course. So one of right. the things I do in my day job is I design product packaging yep. for a company that makes speakers and headphones. And I got the opportunity uh, back in, I want to say it was last June, to work with an actual model, like an actual mm -hmm. Wilhelmina-signed Sports Illustrated swimsuit finalist model. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. It was, you know, it was hard work, but, you know, I, I slogged through and I managed to make it work, you know. <laughs> the hardest work was your nerves, probably. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, I took one, I took one for the team and well, got the job had done. To. I'm glad yeah. you could do that. And I, I'm going to pause right there for you, not to interrupt you. I, I got those headphones, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember when you did this shoot and you, you sent me some images and said, hey, check this out. I did this and, you know, kind of looking for some feedback and whatever. And we talked about them and they were good. And, and then when I flipped that box over and I see your photo, uh -huh. that just made me smile so big. I was like, it, yes, it's there. It, it was it was funny because my wife came to visit the, me at work um, two weeks ago, uh -huh. and I walked her through the warehouse, and I'm like, I did that package, and I did that package, <laughs> and I did that package, and I did that package, and the photos on all of these are photos I took. And right. it's, So one of the things I want – one of the things I've enjoyed, and we talked about it on the episode of Because We Make that's going to drop on Wednesday, Ooh, nice. um, episode 38, is how much my my – business during the day, my day job, and my side hustle kind of mixed together, and there's a lot of skill cross-pollination. And one of the things that I've been, that has benefited both is I've gotten better at product photography at work because I have to, right. and I've started to feel like, well, if you could put that much effort in at work, why aren't you putting that much effort in personally? <laughs> right. And I was sitting at work a couple of days ago, and I'm waiting for a container of stuff to come from China, and I'm like, you know... If I were to just sit there, I mean, I have my own Skillshare account, so it's not the mm -hmm. company's account, but if I were to sit here and watch a course on product photography, that's technically work. Like, I don't have to justify what I'm doing because right. I do this for work. And if I'm taking a course, then hell, I'm paying. You don't even have to pay for it. I'm just gaining the knowledge. Right. So I took this course by um, Tabitha Park, who's a photographer in um, Utah, and she does absolutely amazing product photography her specialty is food and chocolate and she does these courses she did a course on like lay flat photography which is basically you put stuff down flat and you take a photo from 90 degrees above it straight down right and i absorbed that whole class and then there was another class that was just on her workflow mm -hmm. how she goes from her nikon camera to instagram and, you know, stuff she does, like her workflow through Lightroom. And even though she uses Lightroom Classic, I won't hold that against her. But hey now. She, <laughs> everyone in your audience just got really, really mad at me for saying that. But I use it all the time. <laughs> everyone in their brother uses it. It's, a, it's not a unique thing. I just don't like it. But I love Lightroom. And 
I started picking up stuff and I'm like, if I just did this, my photography would be so much better. So I actually started really paying attention. I remember the first thing I wanted to do is like, okay, the kit lens is just not cutting it. Like, that's the first thing I got to jettison. Got to get rid of the kit lens. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to him like, yeah, I'm going to rent this one. I rented a 65 millimeter macro. Yep. And I had to set the camera because I have an APS-C camera. So I had to set the camera back like five feet from my softbox <laughs> just to get everything in frame. I'm like, this is not going to work. But I did end up finding a very good 35 millimeter macro that's become my go-to lens. It's pretty much on my camera all the time now. Yep. And it is just... I can already, just in that change and some slight changes, you know, paying more attention to white balance, which, mm-hmm. by the way, that sounds like, well, of course you pay more attention. Yeah, but you don't think about it, right? Nope. It's just a mechanical thing, and you look at it, and it's like, it looks good enough on the screen. It's good yep. enough for Instagram. Her philosophy is nothing is good enough for Instagram. Right. You should never post, if you're curating an Instagram feed, you should never go from phone camera to Instagram. Ever, without at least a slight edit, even if it's a light touch, correct Mm -hmm. color temperature, correct Mm -hmm. exposure, correct, you know, bring down your shadows, bring up your highlights, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. no photo should ever go camera to Instagram. With the caveat, I will say, assuming that you are doing it for a uh, business For Instagram. We're talking... For I mean, a curated feed. This right. Is the, not, yeah. not just this is your personal feed, share in family moments, whatever else. Yeah, no one That's cares about That's not what we're that. talking about. Do yeah, what you want is, with those. <laughs> yeah, this is very much if you're trying to build a essentially an Instagram portfolio mm-hmm. to which, showcase which, your work. What I Yeah, and for me, you know, my Instagram photos now are the caliber where I'm really happy with them. Mm-hmm. And now they're going, they're my product photos. Right. You know, and I got that. One of the things that happens, you know, we take for granted how easy it is to get information. Mm-hmm. We know that the information is there, but we don't go to it. It's the same thing with the World Trade Center. I never went to the observation deck because I knew yeah. it would always be there. It was always there, right? We do the same with information. We know the internet's always going to be there, so we just go, ah, I can get that information when I need it. Yep. When you start diving into subjects like product photography, which <laughs> sounds like the driest thing in the world, oh, and you see these little th- little things that she does yep. to make her photos pop, you go, why am I not doing that? <laughs> That's really what it is. You end up coming away with it going, why am I not doing that? I right. should be doing that. Right, and these are... From you know, from what you've shared with me in, in looking at it, I, I haven't watched any of her actual classes, but because um, I, I don't have a Skillshare account as of yet. But what you've shared with me is a lot of just really simple little detail type things you can do to really step up your game. Mm-hmm. You know, and then me being the jerk I am, as you're all excited, I say, "Yeah, you want to see something crazy? Check this out!" And I send you this video from a photographer named Carl Taylor. And this is a guy like a mad, this guy's a master, like studio commercial photographer. He's shooting high end stuff and he's got these amazing setups where, I mean, you're talking five lights and, you know, scrims, all this stuff just to get everything perfect in camera. So he has to do very minimal post-processing. I mean, everything, even like little reflector cards that are placed at just the right angle and cut out to the right shape so that when you put them right behind the bottle, of say a bottle of whiskey or something, it's cut out to match the shape so that from the camera angle, you can't see the card there, but it's reflecting light back through the backside of the bottle. I mean, just little yep, or even like, things. Like things like, I remember telling you, I was so excited, like mm-hmm. he did black acrylic. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, 
Why haven't I thought of black acrylic yet? Why am I not doing black acrylic? I need right. more black acrylic in my life. And it's it's those are the things that you you look at. And yeah, you may look at his setup and go, I'm not going to get a whole ton out of this. Right. But you may you may it's it's really a matter of and what I learned from Tabitha's class mm-hmm. that was above all else was think about the details more. Right. right. Things Slow that down. you you don't notice what you don't know until somebody takes you from start to finish on an edit and mm-hmm. you go, oh, wow. And then you start realizing, well, I could get that in camera if I just set up a little while longer. So that was another thing that I learned from her, mm-hmm. where sometimes you're better off taking the extra few minutes and really setting up your camera just right, mm-hmm. taking the right, taking your time, taking the right photo so that your edits in the end are really for stuff like white balance, exposure, yep. color temperature, minor things, but not actually full-blown edits. Right. And if you can get your your processes down to where you're only doing those minor things, those are replicatable. So if you take 150 shots of something in a softbox, mm-hmm. you can just take all those settings, throw them on every single photo in one shot, and now you're going to go in and you do your minor touch-ups before you're done. But the time savings of setting up your camera and leaving the edits to just what your eye sees through the, through the viewfinder... Mm-hmm. It's a lifesaver. And now I spend time. Like, I have to take, generally, product photos go, you take a couple of specific angles, and those go together. And what I started doing was I would take a picture of the box, Mm -hmm. and I would make sure that I didn't touch anything. And I would have the second box of a different color of the same product ready right away so that I can quickly just slide one out and slide it into the exact same position (laughs) and just lean back and look at my camera. And I showed you the other day, I started Mm -hmm. using my remote shutter release now to avoid bumping the camera when I'm hitting the shutter. All of these little tiny things, like Mm -hmm. I've taken pictures, I've gotten to a whole shoot, and one picture of one item, because I pushed the shutter too hard and the tripod moved. I was like, oh, that one's ruined. Now i got to try to replicate where that fit in in a whole series of photos. So now automatically when I'm taking product photos, the shutter release is in my hand. I don't touch right. the shutter on the camera anymore. But you have to learn that the hard way. Mm-hmm. That's the part that sucks. You have to learn it the hard way. Well, but all these things are skills I didn't really think about. It was right. just like, oh, why am I having? Why am I struggling? Why is it taking me three hours to shoot three photos of one speaker? <laughs> now I shot a whole line of products in one day. Yeah. You know, the next thing we'll have you doing is we'll have you using um, custom white balance tools like an Expo disc, which is what I use when I'm I shooting. Have a, I have a card. Yep. Using I a gray a card. card. I used, yeah. I, I've, I bought it years ago when I was doing a lot of, stu- you know, more studio style portrait work. With mm-hmm. controlled speed lights and flashes, because these Expo discs, it's a little, it looks like a lens filter, but it just hangs on a lanyard around your neck. You go into mm-hmm. your custom white balance settings on your camera, hold it over the lens so it's just reading the color temperature of the light. Boom, pop your shot, it sets it right in your camera. Done. It's perfect yeah. every time. I used to do that with a napkin. Yeah, you can do it that way too, <laughs> as long as it's a you know white napkin. Yeah. Pure white, as long as it's not an off white napkin. Because right. and the funny thing is, you always find out it's an off white napkin yeah. when it's too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and then oh, we'll, we'll get you orange. tethered. Yeah, then we'll get you tethered up with a laptop while you're shooting, so you can check that critical focus and. You're, well, you're going to be big time. So it's really funny you say that because the th- next thing I'm bringing to work, and this is the thing, right? Because all this, all my camera equipment, 
the actual camera equipment that I use at work is my own. I right. kind of prefer it that way because I'm comfortable with the camera. I'm comfortable with what's going on. And I've gotten to a point where it's like, okay, what else can you bring to work now? How else can you make it better? <laughs> I have a field monitor yeah. sitting behind me right now, a seven-inch field monitor. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, if I brought that and used the shutter release, I can operate the camera from in front of the camera. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? You don't need to be this complicated. I can't even bring myself to ask them, hey, can we buy a camera, the same camera, just so I don't have to haul mine back and forth? Every I can't even do that. And yeah. I'm like bringing my monitors and I'm bringing like, <laughs> I bought a $200 tripod. I thought they were going to have a heart attack, but then I showed them why I bought it. And they're like, oh, wow, you could do an inside, you could shoot that inside the box or you could do a right. top down shot with that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Then you could buy your two hundred dollar tripod. <laughs> it's a beauty. And I know though. some of you listening probably have like four thousand dollar tripods, but well, trust me, a two hundred dollar tripod is a major leap from holding it and breathing carefully. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's the same. You you got the updated version of the the tripod I've used for literally like ten years, mm-hmm. and it's rock solid. And sometimes you just don't need that $4,000 tripod because the $200 one is going to be solid and do the I don't job. need a fluid head for photography. Right. I'm not doing video with it. I'm mm-hmm. doing photography with it. I don't need a... F- really, that is the difference between some of these really cheap... And I don't need the triple wide legs because, yep. again, photography, not video. It's right. fine. <laughs> right. I'll live. Well, <laughs> this, this kind of brings us to, you know, in, in the idea of learning, though, because... Where you're at right now is one of these learning explosion kind of phases where, man, mm-hmm. new skills piling up in a hurry. Yeah. And that wasn't the case even just you know, a few weeks ago, month ago, you and I have been talking and we were both kind of in this point like, man, I'm just stuck. I'm in a plateau. And that's had... that's why I wanted you to talk about this. Yeah. So I had this past week was the best week I've ever had as a business owner, mm-hmm. um, as far as sales. I've never had a better week. I never. And which is crazy because if you and I, when you and I talked, it yep. was the the middle of January. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Dave, I haven't sold anything since before Christmas. Right. And that was I to mean, me, so it didn't count. <laughs> literally. It was, <laughs> it was you. And maybe if I charged people for being the archivist of the logo, I made a buck or two <laughs> off that. But yeah, I... I was just in a funk and it was so oh, everything. It's really weird because the creative funk, the business funk and the depression funk mm-hmm. all hit at the same time. Right. And if you ever want to see a perfect storm of just bad feelings, have everything go south on you all at the same time. Right. Like you don't, you can't say at least I have blank because mm-hmm. even blank isn't working. Yeah, right, right. You know, it, you know, in, in even at its worst, when I've gone through depression over the years, it's like, well, at least I have making. Well, right. yeah, but I don't want to make anything because I just don't care. You know, I didn't even have my my work table where I make my jewelry wasn't even usable because I just had stuff all over it and I didn't right. care. I didn't care because I so, wasn't selling anything. It just didn't matter right. to me. So it compounds you know. now. How much of that before? I, we're kind of leading to to a recent, very recent thing that, that came up for you that's mm-hmm. super important, something I've talked about here before a number of times, mm-hmm. but I want to get to your story there. But before we get to that, the the idea of a creative plateau. Now, I don't know the best way to tell how 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 do you best explain that? Like when so, you're, you're learning and, and what's your take on, on a creative so plateau? I, f- 
it's one of those things where you don't know you're in it until you're kind of way in it. Right. So I I was making one my first real big popular jewelry product were resin pendants with jewel with um stones in them. Mm-hmm. Um, basically they're pendant frames or cabochons or, you know, whatever I have. And you put stone chips in them and you pour resin over them and the resin suspends the chips and they look really, really cool. I mean, it was something I just worked on doing last, as I was recovering from surgery last year, I wanted to learn how to make these. Cause I was like, I know I can make these. If I get the process down, I can really nail this. Mm-hmm. And I did, I got the process down and I really just started hammering these things out. And people still to this day, I just want that big order. I had mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff was resin pendants. Nice. The problem is, especially in jewelry, you know, if you're, if your sales don't go beyond your inner circle and some, you know, to um extracurricular people yeah you do run out of people to sell that to right so i ran i kind of ran out of people to sell resin pendants to it as much as i like them and as beautiful as they are there's nobody buying them because everyone that knows me that wants one already has one has with yeah so i started learning how to make beaded bracelets or malas Mm -hmm. not they're not perfect malas by the technical definition but they're beaded bracelets and they look really really cool and those have been selling really well so now i have those and what I what I started figuring out was there's so much in the world of jewelry that I can make that it's just a matter of when you're in the funk, just stop with that. Just don't do it for a while. Yep. Do go another direction. You know, I just went to Michaels and I bought some beads and I bought some beading cord and I just started making bracelets just mm-hmm. because I was just dry as far as ideas go. Right. And as soon as I started buying stones and the the cord and sitting there and just threading beads and looking at color combinations and thinking about what would I, you know, not only what would, and this is the funny thing, I bought them like, oh yeah, all my, my female friends, I had a lot of friends that were doing yoga and this, that, and the other, and they're, you know, they have this meaning. What about guys? Like, would guy, guys would wear a mala, right? And I started thinking like, okay, what would I wear? Yeah, right. And I actually started making them for myself and like just experimenting and that opened up the possibility that I can make them for men. And I started like thinking about what do I want on my wrist? Yeah. And now it's like, Oh, now I'm not just thinking about what women would want. I'm thinking about what men would want. And I started doing that and I started doing the leather bracelets, which I've sold a few of. And Mm -hmm. you start doing things just, it's not so much, it's not going to get you off the plateau, so to speak. You probably will plateau with certain skills. You're only going to go so far. For example, I'm making, two, right now I have in process two cutting boards downstairs. Right. I love making cutting boards. I can make cutting boards forever and enjoy it. I love making cutting boards. Well, to me, it, but would, in the it end, would take me forever to make one. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, you can only do so much with a cutting board. Right. Yeah, you could change wood patterns and whatever, but in the end, the process is still the same. You glue, mm-hmm. you cut, you sand, you plane, you're done, mm-hmm. right? You're going to hit a plateau where you're going to like, I never want to see a cutting board again. Yep. So now what do you do? Well, you take that skill, you make cheese boards, you put a handle in it. You know, all of a sudden, yeah. you're you're taking that skill and you're applying it somewhere else. And what I've found is that the more I feel like I can't progress in something, mm-hmm. the more I want to just go, fine, I'm just not going to do that for a while. Do something else. Right. Small you know, pivots. And what, yeah. And what ends up happening is like, especially for someone like me who's doing this for more of a side hustle than for the love of doing it. Right. It's like, oh, people are like, oh, you make those now? Yeah, I'll buy that. Now, all those customers that don't want resin pendants, 
well, they really like the beaded bracelets and the beaded <laughs> earrings. Right. And it's like, oh, I got, I just, basically I'm recycling. Uh-huh. It's terrible to say because we're talking about people. I understand. But we're recycling people. And yeah. it's like, oh yeah, this this is a this is a person who thought I've bought everything I'm going to buy from him. Oh, what's that? A laser cut chevron walnut earring? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll take a pair uh-huh. of those. You got it, <laughs> right? Well, it, so I, I'm going to give you a, a geeky analogy that just kind of sp- sprang in my head here just now, so it might sound a little rough. But when we get on that creative plateau, I mean, you and I both geeks, video game players. Mm-hmm. Um, think of those times when you're playing a game especially in the old 2D side-scrolling days, you know. And you get to a point and you're running and it's like you're stuck against a wall. Your character's still running, but he's not moving. He's just stuck there, right? (laughs) Just going and going and going. And and really what you need to do, I mean, I guess not 2D side-scrolling because that wouldn't make sense, but in in some of the more, you know, recent side-scrolling type games, maybe you got to turn a little bit to the side because the opening, there's actually a hidden passageway over there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, boom, you bust right through. But... As you were talking, a thought really formed in my head that thinking about my own plateaus, even with photography, when I get in that rut where I've been doing it long enough where the the explosion of learning that you're experiencing right now, because there's just so much new to learn, mm-hmm. doesn't happen as fast. Because the things I'm learning now, I already learned that that stuff, and the things I'm learning now are spaced so much farther apart. And I think right. when we get to these creative plateaus, though, I almost wonder more often than not if it's because kind of subconsciously without knowing it, we've been drilling down and down and narrower and narrower in focus on this this thing, you know, whether it's photography or whatever we're doing. And more often than not, if you just kind of those small pivots, you, you have to take just a, a half a step back and realize that, nope, I got a little too focused on this. You know, like like you were saying about the resin pendants, you were stuck. You know, what do I do? And you were focused on that. How do I make this work? And you took a slight step back and looked at things a little different and realized, hey, I'm still making jewelry. I'm still learning, but I can do this now. And I can do this now. And you, you kind of realize, like, your focus gets so narrow mm-hmm. that you can't see just to the left and right where your guy's running against that wall and there's nothing going and you just have to turn a little bit and boom, you're off to the races again. Well, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to give you guys a, a little preview because I'm, I'm assuming this is going to, this episode's going to drop after the blog post I'm about to write about this. Cause it's the next blog post I'm writing. Okay. I was working, I did, <laughs> I started doing something that is very old school because I just wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've started emailing my customers. Yeah. And one of the things that I really want to do is I want to create a relationship beyond the product. Yes. But so the thing is, most of my customers are people that in one way or another know me, right? But at the same time, I want them to know me and know the passion I'm putting into this business. So I started writing an email on Friday that went out to my customers. Um, And I'm writing the email and I had an idea what I was going to write about. And I'm writing, I'm typing, I'm typing. And it ended up becoming an email about my mission statement. Now, I've had this business going for, you know, just over a year and a half at this point. I never had a mission statement. I didn't have it. I didn't care. It didn't matter to me, right? Right. But my mission became, as I was writing it, the three words that are going to guide my business until the day it stops being a business is custom for everyone. 
Love it. And I got goosebumps when I wrote it because I was like, oh my God, that is what, that is the thing, that is the North Star that I have not seen all this time, which is why hopping from one thing to another was mm-hmm. fine, but it wasn't focused. Right. And as much as I was enjoying, like, it's jewelry. Yeah, that's not focus. That's category, right? <laughs> yeah. But now the focus is, like, I want to make custom things that everybody can afford. Right. And I know I'm already painting myself into the commoditized corner by doing this. But at the same time, there's a demand for people to have custom products that don't break the bank when they try to buy them. Well, and I think, and, I think more than ever today – because yeah. we've been so saturated with just another go to the the home decor section or whatever yeah. of a Target or Walmart or whatever, and it's all the same. It you is. You can get it's, a small it, personalization, and it's amazing. It, it is. And I realize that I have that ability to do that for people now. So my focus now isn't so much as making inventory for my site. Yep. It's making an item and saying, I can make this for you. Right. And I started doing that in my Instagram posts, mm-hmm. and my business picked up because people are like, wait, I don't need to get it in that color. I made the same pair of earrings. I put a pair of earrings on my site that I was so happy with. I was mm-hmm. like, these are beautiful. Someone's going to buy it. No one bought them. Uh-huh. But two people bought pairs with the same construction but with different stones because right. in the post, I said, I will customize these for you if you don't like the stone. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, well, if you'll customize them, I like green. Yeah. Maybe I'll get them in green, you know? Well, and it's a way that they can feel like, yes, it's personalized, but not in the sense where it's like, oh, let's go to the engraving shop in the kiosk in the mall and get our name on something. Right. It's right. not that kind of personalization. It's a way you feel like you've got a hand in mm-hmm. some way in in making and shaping whatever this item is. Even though in reality, you don't, I mean, you're just giving an idea. You know, well, like like for me with the stuff I've had you make for me, mm-hmm. the, the agates and, and different things like that. I mean, you did all the work. You made it. I just said, yeah. hey, this would be cool. But you know what? In <laughs> you the know? end, in the end, right? So if you uh-huh. think about it, custom-made jewelry for somebody. Who right. has that? Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that, yeah, I, everybody knows a guy that does a thing. I, I'm not saying I'm unique in that I'm the first guy that ever did custom no. jewelry. But among the people I know... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't get custom jewelry. No. You go to the store and there's jewelry there and you pick out yep. the one you like the most and you buy it. Right. But now, now it's like, oh, I like that bracelet, but can we work on the the stones you're using? Can we do something a little different? I'm, of course we can. That's what I do now. Right. That's my focus. My focus is custom for everyone. Custom, you know, whether it's woodwork, whether it's laser cut stuff, whether it's jewelry, whatever I'm doing, the focus is that I'm making this for you. I'm not making it to sell it. I'm making it for you. And I'm making it in such a way that you can afford this. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get an artist to do it for you or do something crazy. I am going to do this for you, and I'm going to do it in a way that you can afford it, and you can say that no one else has this but you. And from the, and, the purely creative standpoint, the art standpoint, that's creating a connection with an audience. Mm-hmm. What, whether you're selling it or not, and this is, this is a takeaway I want you guys as listeners to, to have from this, that's a connection that you're building that you just cannot buy through followers. You cannot replicate through any of these tricks and hacks and you know anything else. It's a personal connection that that means the world 
Yeah. And and when people see that they have you're giving access to something that they didn't have access to. You know, it's you you have to no matter what you're doing, you have an audience. You're there's always an audience. If you're sharing anything, there's an audience. There's somebody is watching you, somebody's getting something out of it, somebody's learning from you. You have almost an obligation to present the best version of yourself, however it's possible, to the people that are watching. Because mm-hmm. that's those are your people. Those are the people that have that level of fascination with you, that have that you actually have a say, whether you say it directly or not. You have a say in their thought process day to day. And that relationship, even if it's only a one-way relationship, if they never message you, they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And those connections, you have, to f- you have to build them and nurture them. Because when they go away, they don't come back. Right. If, if, if somebody asks you a question and your answer is Google it, <laughs> you are not going to you unless you have a gigantic audience yep you are not long for this world right you're just not you're not going to survive mm-hmm. the world will weed you out yep so your your mission statement what were the three words again custom custom for everyone i love it that's 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 your version of my take action give value yeah yeah you know and that's that's i love it that's so and good. It feels so good to finally have that because now I can direct everything that way. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, I was so proud of myself for mm-hmm. hitting that one. <laughs> just, well, and it's it's a way, like you said, your true north, that north star where as you're stuck on that plateau and you're pivoting around and you're trying this and trying that, you always can look up and that star is there. Like, okay, as mm-hmm. long as I am working towards this, the, this core truth this core value in my artwork i'm free to experiment and try whatever i want because it doesn't you know it's a good thing it helps you now this comes on the heels and and i am so glad we talked about this first instead of what i wanted to also bring up is is your recent experience with imposter syndrome yeah so here, here's what I, here's how I want to kind of, kind of steer this conversation. And I don't really do this usually when we talk, but what you just said now, I want you guys as listeners and, and you as well, Vinny, to mm-hmm. think of this and realize what you just got done saying mm-hmm. in the face of what you're about to tell us about your, your recent experience with imposter syndrome. Yeah. So it has been a very interesting couple of weeks for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle of January, I started working with a therapist because, like I said earlier, it just felt like things were just – everything was falling apart, like nothing. And I mean, you know, you can exaggerate and go, oh, well, you know, you probably look at it and you at the time you think that it's all fall- – no, it was actually falling apart. Like a little at a time, everything was falling apart. And I had to – I just – I was like I, – I hit rock bottom what I thought was rock bottom. And I got a therapist through BetterHelp because it's hard to get a therapist in where I live. So I just said, you know what, I'll go to BetterHelp and I'll get a, someone I can talk to at least and work through this. I worked through it for a couple of weeks. And you know, when she first initially diagnosed me, she's like, you suffer from extreme anxiety and depression and 
to a level where I'm concerned for you. And it was an eye-opener because I was like, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was that bad. Right. And I've been working through it. I've been working through it as best I can. You know, there have been a couple of days where it's just been like, I didn't even want to get out of bed. There have been days where I, it just, it hit me hard. And it just kept hitting me harder and harder. A couple of weeks ago, it was a, just a random Tuesday. I woke up and it just got worse and worse all day. Like to the point where... I broke in the middle of the day. Like, I just couldn't handle it anymore. I messaged my therapist. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I feel this way. There's nothing specific. Nothing triggered it. I don't know what's going on, and I'm freaking out. And I just had a complete breakdown. And I managed to get through to Thursday, which was my, in my, which is my usual day to speak to her. And I just broke while I was talking. I completely broke. And we talked, and she's like, okay. So we, 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 we kind of worked out a plan, and the next week was fine. And I'm like, oh, thank God, this is over. Yeah. Following week, last Monday, last Monday, it happened again. And the only thing that kept me sane was that it happened again, but it wasn't as bad as the time before. And thank God it wasn't, because I, when I talked to my therapist on Thursday again, I really lost it. I just completely cracked. And I said, I, I can't handle this anymore. You know, the, the ups and the downs. And, and she's like, okay, let's start from the beginning. Let's, let, let me ask you a crazy question. When was the last time you were really just happy? Like, mm-hmm. just forget everything else. When was the last time you were actually happy? I said it was when I was in L.A. Right. And I had gone to LA to be on Jason Stapleton's podcast. And I was I was thinking from that moment on I'm like, "Oh my god." And I it just started hitting me like, "Yeah, cuz Jason at one point on the show said, you know, you're an inspiration with all you've been through with cancer and everything. You're an inspiration to me." And, you know, that was my mentor telling me I had any kind of inspiration to him. It was like, "What?" Yeah, right. Like, "No, that doesn't happen." No, 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 no. And I even, at one point in the interview, I think it was early on in the interview, I even, he said something like, you're so inspirational. And I said, you know, it's weird to be called inspirational when you're just doing what you would do. Right. Right. You know, I, it, I wasn't inspirational to me. I was either fight cancer or die. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. This wasn't like, this wasn't like, I don't know, I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to make the hard choice. No. Right. It's either make the choice or you die. <laughs> exactly. And, and I was, I was, I, I was telling my therapist and I'm going through the history and everything. And I said, she goes, so, well, this isn't helping though. She goes, you're, there's obviously something that's setting off this depression in you and it just keeps doing it over and over again. She goes, I, I don't, I, I can't get to the root of it because I can't get you to a position where I'm comfortable not dealing with the symptoms of what you're dealing with. That's how bad it was. Like we couldn't dive deeper because I wasn't stable enough to right. go deeper. Yep. So Thursday, I just, I really, I, and when I say I cracked, I mean, tears running down my face, just freaking out. And we were just going on and on and on. And I was like, I feel like a phony. I feel like a fraud. Everyone's telling me how strong I am and how great I am. And I'm, I'm, I'm so great. I'm so strong. And I've done so much and I'm so amazing. And I can't even stop being depressed. What the hell is wrong with me? Right. I'm like the worst imposter ever. Being and I stopped and I went, Whoa, 
like it clicked. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, I know what the problem is. And it just, I just started talking. I'm like, I just want to be the person that everyone says I am. And it, it was like, a, like the sky opened up. It's like, oh my God, that's why you're so, that's why you're depressed. Because you're not living up to this fictional version of you that you think is what you're supposed to be. Right. You know, and her answer, you know, I, and I said, I feel, she goes, well, what, how does this make you feel? You know, the typical therapist question. I said, <laughs> I feel weak. Right. I feel weak because I'm always struggling. She goes, well, you know, and this is what she said. And I think this is probably from the blog post I made today. It's probably the most powerful line for people because three people have messaged me this one line. Strong people struggle too. Right. And I was like, wow. And it was like, okay, yeah, you're right. She goes, you have to stop thinking of yourself as one thing. You're not. You're, no human being is one thing. Human beings are a combination of things. And you can have the most incredible strength and be an icon for people as far as fighting cancer. Mm-hmm. And still struggle with depression. Right. And that doesn't make you less strong in how you fought cancer. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be strong all the time. It's impossible. Just because people expect you to be strong all the time. Right. And that realization that all I was really dealing with that was triggering my depression over and over and over again was a really bad case of imposter syndrome. Right. It just felt like, okay, that's really stupid, and I've figured it out, and now I know what I'm looking for, and now I can fight it. Right. And since Thursday, when I had this revelation, I have actually had four, well, no, yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, yeah, four really good days. Mm -hmm. For the first time in, I can't tell you how long, it's been ages Four non-depressive, non-fragile, non-wanting to just not get out of bed. Like this morning, I shot out of bed like I used to, and I went and tried to run, which that was a whole other story. But, um, but I was back out in you're, my normal routine. doing it. I was doing it, yeah. And then I came home and ate breakfast and went down to my shop and was working on stuff for clients. And I was like, oh, wow, I really am back. Like I feel yep. like myself again. And I, I, you've talked so many times about imposter syndrome. You and I have talked about it mm-hmm. ad nauseum. It's probably the one thing yeah. we talk about the most. And I always you, – you were usually the one talking about it, and I was usually the one trying to convince you that it wasn't happening. Yeah. And it, I just thought it was so ironic that of all the psychological issues that I could have possibly had, yep. I, had it to an, I had it to a degree worse than anything you're dealing with. Yeah. And it's actually triggering actual depression in me. Well, and I was just oblivious to it in myself. First off, um, listeners, I, I've got these all linked up. These articles on, on his blogs I've mentioned. This one is called "Imposter Syndrome Almost Killed Me." Please do go check that out um, for for that full breakdown of, of what Vincent was just talking about. But here's the thing, Vincent. I wanted. I, I, I'm. I'm glad we talked about the plateau side of things and where you're at mm-hmm. because look at look at what happened. Yeah. Like where like you are just killing it. 
I I feel like I you know I I feel like I am again. And you you look at that contrast like, and that was only you know like we said four days ago. Yeah. And it gets to that level, and things can turn around, and that's why. When we hit those creative plateaus, and, and I'm so thankful that you shared that and we're willing to do that because all of us, I think, need to hear that no matter how dark it gets, there is mm-hmm. there is always this thing right there. Just keep finding a way. Keep pivoting. Keep searching. And keep paying attention to yourself because that's the one thing about imposter syndrome I think that rarely ever gets mentioned Every time I've talked about it, every time I've seen it talked about, it's always that I'm comparing myself to someone else's work and I don't feel I live up and people think I'm, you know, as good as XYZ photographer or whatever it might be. And I don't believe I am. I'm worried they're going to think I'm a fraud if they find out. It's very rare that I've ever heard anyone basically feel like they're an imposter of themselves. It's the, it was the weirdest it, it just – it came out, and the only reason it came out was because my therapist just told me, let it out. Just yep. go. Just go. And I'm sorry if you can hear crinkling in the back. My cat is chewing on <laughs> a bunch of plastic no that worries. I have some linen bags in, so I'm no really worries. sorry for the background noise. Don't worry about it. My heat kicked on. We'll have a little noise. It's a real conversation. <laughs> it's here, a real man. conversation. You know, we're not all about the flash and polish. We want to hear the real details. My my therapist my therapist is absolutely fantastic. And mm-hmm. one thing that one thing that she's really good at, you know, I if I told people, yeah, I'm paying X number of dollars per visit to talk to someone who pretty much lets me talk for an hour, yep. they would say, You're out of your mind. Why are you even paying for that? You could talk to yourself in a mirror and get the same result. But the one thing that she'll do, she is really good at guiding the conversation. Just getting me just just getting me to look in another direction and just mm-hmm. start and I just I don't know. Maybe I'm just a really good patient, but when she guides me that way, I just go. Right. And it's like, oh, wow. And, you know, you start seeing things. And I was so, I was feeling myself talking faster as I was talking right. Thursday, like, oh that, my God. That fraud, flood's phony. coming. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, it's all coming together. It's like, Jesus Christ, everything that I've been trying to put into words and deal with them. I was most concerned about the depression. Mm hmm. And I'm just going to say this because you know everything that's happened mm-hmm. over the last couple of months. I do, yep. There have been a lot of things that have happened to me yep. where it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, I don't even know how you, you're standing right now. Right. And it's crazy that you start talking about this stuff, and the first thing that comes out of my mouth isn't, wow, look what I did. It's, I'm a phony. I'm a fraud. Right. You know, I'm not as strong as people say. And, and she's like, you know, through all of this, all this, she goes, if you don't think you're strong... She goes, you've been through depression. You did six weeks of chemo and radiation. Mm -hmm. You did surgery where they had part of you just taken out. You did another three months of chemo. You then ran a 5K. You started a business. And she goes, and on top of all that, you stayed, you went to work. Right. She goes, while you were dealing with depression and anxiety so severe that I wondered if I was even going to be able to work with you at the beginning. If you don't think you're strong, just think about all that together mm-hmm. and just look at you now you're you're getting through it mm-hmm. and it's like wow you know and sometimes you just need and this is what you know my takeaway from this if you have any inkling that you might need help just get it because right. when i started this when i started working with her i knew something was wrong but it was non-specific and it didn't feel that bad it just like maybe i could feel a little better right it took 
two months to get mm-hmm. down to it. Right. You know, of visit of talking to her every once a week. But now that I did it, and now that I've hit that part, mm-hmm. oh my God, I am a new, I am literally a new person. I am transformed. Right. And I really do feel it. And I know there are going to be times where I'm going to relapse. She warns me about this. Oh, sure. Constantly. Well, because so we're all gonna, human. She, right. And she said, you're going to have moments where you're going to fall back. She goes, but what you have to do now when you fall back is you have to look at how you feel now. Right. And just remember that you can feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't feel that way right now. And that's not weakness. That's no. depression. Yep. She calls it her, she calls it the lo- the world's longest con depression. <laughs> that it's a I constant it. con game where your brain is just torturing you yep. constantly, mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it Mm-mm. except learn coping strategies well, to deal with it when it's really bad. Learn to see it and acknowledge it for what it is, and then yeah, figure out like what. You know, it's it's the old, and you've, if you've followed creativity stuff anywhere, you've probably heard the conversations about the old lizard brain or whatever. It's mm-hmm. that part of our brains that's still in caveman times, in fight or flight, where it's sensing danger and having mm-hmm. to kick us into a mode to survive. But we right. don't have dinosaurs chasing us anymore. And so now we get things like imposter syndrome where – that sense of danger isn't from the the T-Rex chasing you. It's from what if they find out I'm a fraud and that inner voice that starts to convince you of something else. Yeah. What if your standards for yourself are Mm -hmm. so high that you feel like you have to be authentic to the point where your authenticity is what's driving you to depression, Right. where you think you have to live up to a standard that you didn't even set for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. You, you, you know, they, yeah. and, and you feel like a fraud if you don't. Right. And, <laughs> and like, the, the craziest part is that no one outside of you has has that expectation either. No one knows. No. And this is the thing. No one knows. Like, they're like, what are you depressed about? I'm like, well, I'm depressed because I'm not as strong as you think I am. What? Yeah, right. Like, they would look at you like you have 12 heads. Like, yep. what, what, what's Maybe you are screwed up in the head, but not in the way you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's funny because I've been having this thought and hearing hearing you tell this. And I mean, you and I have talked about this, you know, uh, offline, obviously. So, but this thought occurred as I was listening back to it again. And it's it's kind of the old adage where, you know, we hear it a lot. People trying to be inspirational and saying, you don't need to wait for someone to give you permission. And that's that's true. When it, when it comes to your creativity, you know, no one – make what you want to make. You don't need anyone else's permission. But hearing what, what you were just sharing, sometimes that's all we need is is someone else's permission to realize that being authentic doesn't, you know, doesn't mean perfect. And being right. strong doesn't mean you don't struggle. You know, and, and sometimes you just need to hear – from whoever it is, be it a, a therapist, be it a family member, friend, wh- whoever that person is for you, you'll know it when it happens. And it's just that thing that clicks saying, you have permission to cry today or to yeah, she told me that. pull your hair out. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, t- she actually told me that. She's like, I said, you know, sometimes I feel, I said, what what stresses me out is that sometimes I'm at work and I have these feelings. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't just sit there at my desk and cry. Right, right. And she goes, okay, but you don't have to sit at your desk. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. I can, uh, I can go out to my truck and cry for a few minutes. It's okay. Right. You know, you have to 
allow yourself the latitude, and sometimes that's how you're going to heal. And you have to allow mm-hmm. yourself whatever latitude you have to give yourself yep. to give yourself space to heal. Yep. And I've I've had to learn that because it, this isn't something I'm accustomed to dealing with. Right. You know, it's not something that I was equipped for. It wasn't mm-hmm. even something that I saw coming. It just kind of it snowballed out of control in a period of about six weeks. From I wasn't even getting help to right. oh my god I have massive depression. <laughs> well, in in from an outsider's perspective, you know, based on what you were telling me and everything else, it seemed like it happened even faster than that, where it was like flying high. You know, look, I did this thing, things are good, I had this thing, and then boom, just you know, it felt like. I mean, like I'm sure wall. it wasn't. We talk every day. You know, just about you know chatting on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> so it's hard time sometimes it gets gets jumbled in my head. But it felt like it was literally just over a weekend or a week. You know, where it just hit hard, and it's like, oh man, you yeah, know, and it, it's, it's tough. It is. It's so. It's so impossibly difficult to deal with. But and for me, the impossibility was I didn't know what was triggering it. Yeah. And it was just it would just happen yep. and it would just be so bad. Like and now it's I have a name to it. Mm-hmm. I know what to look for. I know the kind of thoughts that accompany it and it's like, "Oh, I have I actually have a toolkit for dealing with this right. now." And if you get nothing else out of therapy and speaking to a professional, the one thing you will get is not so much a cure. You're not going to ever be cured, nope. but what you will get is professional guidance on how to deal with it right because you're never the simple fact is i will probably never get better i will be dealing with depression for the rest of my life and that's i i just have to deal with that yep but in the way you deal with that is you get you have your coping strategies you have your you know your cognitive behavioral therapy where it's like i'm aware of this and i know what to look out for and i'm going to correct the behavior when i see it in myself Mm -hmm. And it's just it's a lot of work, and I'm I'm going to struggle, and it's going to be difficult. And you know what? I'm going to keep going on with my life, and that's the strength that I've been trying to find mm-hmm. for six to eight weeks, where I've been trying to find what what makes me strong enough to fight cancer for a year and a half and break down crying when I see a cute kitten. <laughs> you know, it's like I there's no rhyme, reason, or rationale to it. Now I just understand. Yeah. Like it's just, that's just the way it's going to be. And you're just going to have to get used to dealing with it. I've had friends that have been on dealing with it for years and are on medication. Sure. And I, I'm like, I don't know how you do this. And then I realized they've just been doing it longer. Yeah. Right. And it was like, right? it, it just, the, the, the ease with which they deal with it came through experience, not through anything other than yep. I've been dealing with this for so long. It's just the way it is. And I'm okay with that. Well, and out of it all, you find yourself in a good spot. You've got a new creative North Star. Mm-hmm. You, you found that that true North for yourself, and things are flying high right now. And you know there, there's feel... going to be lows, but you're in a creative yeah. like flow state right now. I am. I am. I feel like I feel. I really do feel like I keep saying I'm back. I was never really gone, right? But I wasn't really here. I'm here now. Right. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm 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 not shying away from the fight anymore. Right. Well, and now um, you 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 have the tools to realize as as you mentioned before we talked about imposter syndrome, the idea you can just keep pivoting. 
You can keep mm-hmm. making these changes, keep trying these things, and you have a compass telling you, here's your destination. As long as you right. hold true to that creatively, you can go nuts. Do whatever you want. Try whatever you want. Keep making. Yep. Keep doing the thing. Do the thing. That's always the end reason, right? Do the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Do the thing. Avoid the resistance. Yes. Content. Yes. Well, I I just, uh, I just, for for (laughs) for you listeners, I just shared with Vincent uh, the classic book from Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's he's, uh, enjoying that right at the moment, which the resistance is... What the, Stephen the Pressfield, concept, yep, apparently. exactly, and it's it's essentially imposter syndrome. It's that voice in your head, that negative voice telling you you can't do something and trying to hold you back because it's trying to protect you. It, mm-hmm. it, it thinks it's trying to protect you, but in reality, it, it's doing much more harm than good. And and that's really at the core of it. What's your what's you're dealing with right now, and and yeah. what we've all as creatives gone through and dealt with and and continue to and will face again and again and again. Because it's just the way we're wired as human beings. Sure is. So, Vinny, we could talk all night. We have a few times on the phone, and it's like, I don't have long. I got a couple minutes. And then an hour and a half later, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I was funny. The last time we talked on the phone, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be home for dinner soon. And I ended up talking to you for like 45 minutes after I walked in the door. I was like, right. all right, at some point, I got to go eat dinner. Yeah. Dave, no offense, no, but and, I'm and, freaking and, starving. Oh, I know. And, and, and I, I, that happens. I, I We get chatting. And we it's both like, do it. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, it happens. Time flies. But I want to know, what what are you going to give as far as kind of like a last last thought, last takeaway on this adventure we've been on today? I would say figure out, you know, when when everything started, when everything really started to feel right with my business as far as, you know, where it's going a couple of days ago when I came up with that mission statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some I think that whether it's your business or your personal life, I would say have a mission statement. And I, I'm not talking about goals. I, I'm not a big fan of goals. Mm-hmm. I, I think we, we had that discussion. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a big fan of goals. Um, as Scott Adams says, goals are for loser, losers, systems are for winners. Right? <laughs> Your mis- You need a personal mission statement. What are you about? What are you trying to achieve with your life? Where do you want to be? All of that. And then, see, now this is the hard part. What are you going to do to get there? Yep. And I'm in the where am I going part, right? Yep. I haven't quite worked out the what am I going to do yet, but it, this is all very new for me, so I'm getting there. But I think that the amount of direction I've gotten just from knowing where, you know, having a mission statement, even if I don't have the full details of how I'm going to fulfill it, yep. having that mission statement has totally changed my perspective on my business, on making, on everything that I'm going to do for the next couple of years. Right. So have a mission statement. Even if you don't have a plan for how you're going to implement it, mm-hmm. Just figure that part out and let that guide you toward what you're going to do to get there. Right. I love it. It's a big adventure. Not to sound uh, cliche and, and cheeky here, but that's that's what I love and why I, why I call this thing the Adventures in Creativity because it is so broad and it's all a journey that we're all on together. You know, the, the one thing I'm going to add to this, um, to your takeaway is – don't be shy. Reach out to other creatives. Get to know people. Form those genuine relationships, like like you mentioned, even with your client work and in your your um, mission statement. Because mm-hmm. 
having someone to not only bounce the successes off of, but to be able to just vent and be like, oh man, today is just a shit day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm struggling, blah, 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 whatever. And those people that you can trust that are going to tell you like, eh, I don't know, that idea is not, not hitting it with me. You know, maybe look at this and this. And they're also going to be there for you, like celebrating the successes, helping to pick you up after, you know, when you fall down and stumble and fail, because we all fail. Find find those those core people, those handful of people, and don't be shy. Reach out and, and make connections, because in today's world, it's easy to feel completely disconnected from everybody because it's all ones and zeros. It's all yeah. internet, you know? And, really and when you can make those connections, it, it's... It not only helps you as a person, it helps you as a creative. It helps you in so many ways. And who doesn't like having awesome people in their life? Yeah. And if you don't have awesome people in your life, I mean, one of the most important things you can do is if the people in your life aren't fulfilling or you're not getting gratification or you're not growing or getting better, there's something to be said for just surrounding yourself with new people. Yeah. It's okay. It's 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 okay. You haven't. You are entitled to grow, right? And you don't have to apologize nope. for grow for wanting to grow for wanting to be better. Nope. So it it would be it is absolutely fine to say you know what this this group of friends or these people they're not I'm not benefiting from this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know we could stay friends, but I need to spend more of my time with people who are going to improve my life. Yep. That's it. That's just the way it is. Absolutely. You know, you can have your old friends, but you're going to also have the... When you start hanging around with successful people, success is contagious. Yeah, right. Creative people, creativity is contagious. All these things that we love and seek increase in are all contagious. You just have to surround yourself with people who uh, symbolize all that for you. Absolutely. I'm I'm resisting the urge to make a very poorly poorly timed coronavirus joke and contagious, but... (laughs) Is there anything other than a poorly timed <laughs> coronavirus joke at this point? I don't know. I made They're all poorly timed. Th- this is true, but it, what you said is <laughs> absolutely true with it being contagious. So before we get out of here, I need you to to plug, promote everything. Sure. You know, toot your horn, so to speak, because you deserve it, man. Thank you, sir. Um, you can find my website is Vincent M Ferrari F E R R A R I. Dot com. Um, that's where my store is. That's where my blog lives. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Handmade by Vincent Ferrari and on Twitter, Handmade by VF. Also, I do a weekly podcast with my good friend Ethan Carter. Um, like Dave said, he is a regular guest. Every 25 episodes, we have Dave on, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we do. Um, because we make, we talk to different creative people, different makers. We sometimes talk about creative topics. We do a lot of Q&A now with the audience mm-hmm. because they seem to really dig that. And I don't know why they want to know what we have to think. But for some reason, they do. So we do it for them. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, you can catch that at becausewemake.com mm-hmm. or basically in any podcatcher that has a directory. You can find the show in there. We're on episode 38. As we record this, we're probably, I don't know, 40-ish by the time this drops. Mm-hmm. So we're not going anywhere. We're going to be there for a little while. And if you enjoy this podcast, yeah, give us a listen. You may like us too. I, I firmly believe listeners here of Adventures need to be subscribed because I think of you guys as like uh, – uh, I, I don't want to say sister show because we're all guys, but like brother, uh, the brother <laughs> show to adventures. I mean, we're like a, a package deal in a lot of ways that yeah. covers a whole lot of creativity and a whole lot of viewpoints on things. 
And so we should absolutely have Because We Make in your regular feed. I know I do. And, and don't uh, let the circular saw and the logo turn you off to it. It's not all about woodworking. No. Trust me. Ethan <laughs> is not really a woodworker, and I make jewelry. So <laughs> <laughs> it, It's just pure, pure maker and creative, mm-hmm. excellent conversation. Yep. That's awesome. Well, That's, go ahead. Thank you. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say thank you for having oh. me on, man. I really I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. You know that. Even though it's always kind of weird because we talk about most of this stuff regularly anyways, but I thought this stuff was really important, and I, I, wanted, uh, I wanted listeners here to be able to hear kind of what you've been going through and your take on a lot of this because there's so much value there. So, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, you guys know the deal. Stay on the lookout for your own adventures and creativity. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and most importantly, take action, give value to those around you. We'll see you right back here next week with an all-new episode. Take care, guys.